All right, Shalom Aleichem, everybody. My name is Yosef Tropper. My claim to fame is that I'm Ben's friend, and we were in Yeshiva together. Uh, we were in Yeshiva so long ago that I could say that we're probably both old enough to be your father, maybe even grandfather. <laughs> Not that bad. But anyway, it was, it's been a while. So um, I'm a psychologist by trade. Um, so if you have any questions about mental health and you want to embarrass yourself and ask in front of everybody, you can. Or, or if I could be helped uh, privately, I definitely know a few good psychologists and psychiatrists here locally that I can, I'm kidding. Um, you know, definitely if you have any questions about mental health, so you'll see that I'm going to focus a little bit on mental health when I speak, and if anybody has any questions. I want to talk about 10 things that I wish I knew at your age. Um, you know, it's always annoying when your parents get nostalgic and think like, oh, when I was your age, I thought I would have appreciated these things, but I think these are 10 principles that could help guide your life. Um, I want to share a very fascinating medrash with you. Um, that is, has to do with the Mishkan and I think makes it very, very practical. And I think you'll find that interesting. And I also want to allow you guys to ask questions if, if there's something that um, you think you, know, you want me to elaborate on a little bit more. So I'll give you the list of the 10 things right now just so you can see if you're interested and then I'll extrapolate on all of them. But these are kind of 10 things that I wish I knew when I was your age, but they're relevant. If I know them when I'm my age, that's also good. So the first, first thing is you don't know everything. When I was your age, I also thought I knew everything. I still probably have some of that problem, but as you get older, you realize that you know less and less. Um, in fact, if you've ever heard of um, imposter syndrome, anybody heard of that? Kind of where you think, it's been very popular in psychology, where you think, oh my gosh, like I'm a surgeon, I just graduated, I don't even know what I'm doing. Or um, you know, I have this job and I don't really know what I'm doing. So the research about it is very fascinating. Actually, it usually kicks in not when you just fr- freshly graduate. Usually it kicks in about a year or two after because when you, when you freshly graduate, you actually do think you know everything. But then as you start working in the field, you're like, oh, shoot, this doesn't actually work this way, and I actually don't know what I'm doing. So it actually starts creeping in after a month or two. So sometimes it's good to be humble and to know what you don't know, but sometimes it could backfire. So we have to have a balance of knowing that we don't know everything but also knowing how to ask questions and, and connecting with people. So that's, that's my first item on the list. And again, I'll come back and extrapolate on it. Um, item number two that I wish I would have learned at a younger age is to be kind. Um, you know, you, you know, people in life are going through all different types of things, and sometimes uh, it can make a very big difference to us. Um, I had a client who um, suffered from a very severe psychiatric issue. He had uh, schizophrenia, and he had auditory hallucinations. He would kind of hear voices telling him to do things, including, you know, to end his own life, which is very, very severe. Um, And uh, one time he came into my office and he said to me, um, I said, oh, how was your weekend? It was a Monday. So he said, oh, well, I spent the entire weekend watching TV and switching off. I said, switching off, what does that mean? He said, yeah, I would watch the TV for a half hour, then I would turn it off and it got to watch me for a half hour. I said, oh, that's interesting. And he said, yeah, that's what it told me to do. So, I mean, he had a very severe psychiatric issue. Um, he had a lot of health issues. He lived by himself, he had no family. And I tried getting him, there's a program in, in Maryland uh, run by Johns Hopkins, which takes care of nutrition. Um, he didn't have a, he was a homeless guy and he, he just wasn't able to even get the government assistance to get him a place to live because he was just so unstable. Um, and so I got him um, the food and everything that used to come to the clinic and he would pick it up there. So anyway, one time, I was sitting with him, and he said, you know, you're the nicest therapist I've ever had. You actually care about me. So I wrote, I wrote with him something. It's very famous that sometimes before people um, want to end their lives, they write a suicide note, um, you know, just saying goodbye to everybody, so to speak. And, and this man had severe psychiatric issues, and, and sometimes the voices in his head told him to kill himself. 
And so I wrote with him an anti-suicide note. And I basically went through the good things in his life. He had a son that he was estranged from, and he had hoped to, at some point in his life, meet him again. Um, he had a sister that he wanted to call, um, and he had a few things that he wanted to do in his life. So when we wrote that note, um, you know, we wrote down all the reasons that, that his life is worthwhile. And one of the reasons that we wrote down was that we had a good relationship, we had good rapport between me and him. So anyway, one Monday he came in and he told me that, you know, that note saved my life. Why? Because it was a piece of kindness that he said, you know, I literally was walking and walking and on one hand was my suicide note, the other hand was my anti-suicide note. And he's like, as I got to the bridge, the anti-suicide note won. So at that point, I realized, like, that's why it's important to be kind because your kindness literally could save somebody's life. So um, that's, that's a really important lesson in life, just being kind and, and gentle. And some of us have siblings or parents and, uh, you know, grandparents, etc. And when we think about, you know, how we could treat them with kindness, um, it can make a big difference in, in the family dynamic. Um, number three, things that I wish that I knew when I was your age, slow and steady wins the race. Um, a lot of times in life, we wish that we were at the finish line already. But sometimes the process to get there is, is part of it. And, uh, you know, Rome wasn't built in one day. And it's very important to just pace yourself slowly but surely. Sometimes if you go too quick, um, it could backfire. So one of the things that... Um, Ben and I, or Rashiva or Rashiva Rubenstein's Atzal, who we were both very close with, um, he was very mockbait. If somebody did something fanatical in the yeshiva, like for example, if you came to the yeshiva and you didn't have payas, and all of a sudden you started growing it. Or if you came to the yeshiva and you didn't have a beard, and you started growing one for frumkat reasons. Or you came to the yeshiva and you didn't keep Chal Yisrael, and all of a sudden you started announcing to everyone that you keep Chal Yisrael. He would tell you, what are you doing? I don't approve. It took many years for him to let me to, to, to wear a beard. I happen to like it because it covers up some of my weight. But it wasn't, you know. But uh, I remember he came to my school that I was teaching. I was a Rebbe. I was a sixth grade Rebbe. And he looked at me and he said, okay, now if you want the beard, you could grow it. But it used to be, you know, when, when we were in uh, Yeshiva, after Svirasa Omer or after, um, you know, Tishbev, he would come over to you and go, oh, that doesn't look very nice on you. Go, go shave it off. Because he didn't want us to do external frumkite things. He wanted us to do internal frumkite things. So I think that's part of the lesson of slow and steady wins the race, that when you're going places in life, sometimes going there slowly is the fastest way to get there. And in my life, I definitely made a lot of mistakes trying to get places fast, and really, that's a slow way to get there. Um, but this is not about, you know, my my regrets in a group therapy session, although I appreciate everybody listening. Um, okay, number four is kind of the crux of my speech. So I'll just say, like, think about your why in life. Um, why are you here? What are you trying to do? What are you trying to accomplish? And I'll, I'll elaborate on that more at the end. Um, number five, things that I wish I appreciated more at your age is the importance of friends and family. Um, our, our greatest support, our greatest love comes from our, our, our families. Um, number six is the importance of downtime. Um, chilling out, relaxing. It's, you know, there are lots of things that, that take place in our body when we sleep, and it's, re- it's a really, really good therapeutic uh, thing for us to, to recharge. Sometimes things will look a lot worse when we're overtired and, and, and uh, lacking sleep. Um, number seven is some self-awareness and self-kindness, which is part of the kindness part, but just being aware of yourself. Sometimes noticing that bothers me or I like that, um, you know, why I like that or why something makes you uncomfortable. You can learn a lot about yourself just by being in touch with that. Um, number eight is something that I definitely took me a long time to learn is how to say I'm sorry. Especially for a man, it's very hard to admit that we're wrong sometimes or with a friend or in relationships. So learning how to say I'm sorry is definitely a, a very good skill in life. That's good practice. Uh, in fact, probably the only time ever that, that I remember of Usher uh, Zatzal ever yelling at me was a time where I made a mistake. He was, uh, there was a few Rabbeim that were coming to Neri Searle in Baltimore and um, and one of them called me and asked me if I could arrange a meeting with a certain Rav for him to be able to recruit Talmudim. And I said, I don't really know that Rav that well, but I'll try to call him. And this 
this person called me back a week later and said, did you get to that meeting? I said, no, I was not able to schedule the meeting. He never called me back. Maybe you should you know, call him yourself. And it kind of got fumbled between the two of us. It wasn't clear whether it was my fault or their fault. I think in retrospect, he had asked me to do it and I should have followed up and I did make a mistake. But at the time, I felt like, hey, I told you I couldn't do it. Anyway, so what happened was they came to Baltimore and they came to the yeshiva and there wasn't anyone for them to interview because this Rav was never contacted by me or, or them. And I basically you know, pushed back and I said, it's not my fault. I told you I couldn't do it. And a rusher called me and he's like, that's not the way you talk. You have to be a Balak Reyes and you have to say, I'm sorry. And he was right. He, and he, you know, he told me that very strongly. But I, I, I don't remember any other time being yelled at him besides that. So you know, the importance of saying, I'm sorry when you make a mistake. And I called up that, that Rebbe and I said, I'm sorry. And, and he said, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to hurt you. He was also a very big mensch. Um, about it, uh, you know, Russia was as well, and um, you know we, we, we all moved on. Um, number nine is how to be resilient. You know, life is going to throw you things that you didn't expect. Uh, all of our lives have things that we didn't expect, whether um, it's siblings, which sometimes is a surprise and annoying, whether it's classmates who are annoying or do the wrong thing or say the wrong thing or obey them or friends or, or anything in life. Just learning how to be resilient is really, really important. And number, I think that brings you to number 10. Um, yeah, how to make your impact. I think that if you live your life and you um, work on these things, then you could make a really, really big impact. Any questions or comments before I kind of like dig into a few of them a little bit more? Okay, cool. So let, let me, I'm gonna go through them one at a time and just give a little bit more elaboration. So 10 things I wish I knew at your age. Number one is you don't know everything. So again, it's just important in life to, to be humble because if you walk around thinking that you know everything, it says, Mishnah Abba says, who's a wise person? Someone that learns everyone. And there's a Pasuk that says, um, about Shlomo Melech, it says, which simply translates as, he became um, smarter than everyone. And the, and the Pasuk continues, he was smarter than Avraham and Moshe, and Shlomo's wisdom was very, very st- strong. So there's a Rashi brings down, there's a Medrash that says, means that he was smarter than everyone. And this is interesting, because you're going to think of your friends when I say this. He was smarter even than idiots. Shlomo Melech was smarter than idiots? What's the Medrash saying? It's a Pella. Medrash is saying he was smarter than Avraham, he was smarter than Moshe. What does that mean? How do you understand that Medrash? So, first of all, you could say that people that are idiots sometimes have streaks of genius. So, even in those fluke streaks of genius, Shlomo was smarter. But Rohan Wasserman says a different shot. He says that doesn't mean what I just translated. I, I, I fed you the wrong translation, so the Medrash doesn't make sense. I fed you the translation of Shlomo Malach, he was smarter than everyone. Says Rohan Wasserman, that's not what it's saying. Vayachka means he got wisdom, mikol adam, from everyone. He learned from everyone. And then the Medrash says, afilu minatipshim. He even learned lessons from idiots. So if you have a friend, you could say to him, if you think he fits under that tipshim category, you could tell him that I'm smarter than you and I learned lessons from you. But don't say it, don't say it out loud because it's not nice. But the point is, vayachka mikol adam means you have to take a lesson from everybody. And there's, 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 there's no one that can't teach us a lesson. Chazal tells us that the Gemara and Aaron says that if the Torah wouldn't have been given, we would learn uh, the mitzvahs from the animals. So even the animals teach us things, whatever they do, etc. Like, for example, the Gemara says that ants don't steal from each other, etc. Uh, lesson number two is be kind. I don't think that one needs elaboration. It just needs a reminder and, and practice. Um, number three is slow and steady wins the race. So a lot of times that there are things that we want to do. Just focus on doing it slowly and make daily goals because it's going to have a lot more sustaining power. The Rambam says in Pirish Mishnayis to Avos, that if a person has $100 or 100 whatever it is, uh, units to give out for charity, it's better to give it in small increments of a, a dollar at a time to, to 100 people than to just dump it on one person. Why? Because it makes you a better person. It might be for someone else to get $100 cash from you is amazing, but for you, it creates that, that repetitious behavior, which is, which is very important. 
Number four is why are we here? So I want to tell you a couple of stories. I want to tell you a measure shit that I think is very, very powerful. So um, there's a story that I heard from a male Peterman. Some of you might have heard of him or heard some of his recordings. I think his stuff is beautiful and powerful. So this is a story that he told over, which he says is a, is a true story. So there was a guy who lived in Eretz Israel in the late 1800s. He was very poor and no money. The entire Yishuv had very, very little money. There was a Haluka system. They would give out charity. I mean, nobody had money. It was just the, the poverty there was, was beyond belief. Uh, when Ben and I learned in Eretz Israel, we're always, you're always struck, even now when you go visit there, there's still so much poverty there. There's a lot of affluence also, but you know, it's, just, it's just so fascinating how people live with so much less than, than, than we do. So anyway, so, so what happened was there was a man who um, just didn't know what he was going to do and had a lot of bills to pay and just was not making ends meet in any which way. So he kept dominating to Hashem, Hashem, please help me, please help me, please help me. And something happened, and he ended up finding this diamond. And um, he was just, you know, him and his wife were ecstatic, and it just seemed like it was something that was very expensive and something that was going to really, really help them. And so he started bringing it around to different um, diamond dealers and, 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 and jewelers locally. And finally, one guy who was very honest said to him, it's good that you're getting a lot of different opinions, but I want to tell you something. This diamond is so valuable that there's no one in the entire Israel that's able to buy it from you because no one's going to give you the $20 million that it's worth. You have to go to England and you have to sell it there. And I'm telling you the truth because I'm a friend of yours. Otherwise, someone's going to rip you off and give you, a, you know, $100,000 for it. But literally, this diamond is, is very, very valuable. So he's like, okay, that's great. But how am I supposed to go to, you know, go, go to England? I have to get on a boat and cost money. So the guy says to him, don't be short-sighted. Just go show up. It was the 1800s. Things were more chilled. Go show up there. Show everybody the diamond that you have. And they'll, they'll give you royal treatment. They understand that you're a rich businessman. Don't worry. They'll take care of you. He said, all right, fine. I believe in Hashem. Hashem will help me. So he gets on. The, he goes to the port, finds the next boat to England. He shows everybody this diamond. And they all say, oh, wow, you must be a very important businessman. They put him in business class. They give him the best treatment, etc. And the captain comes to talk to him. He gets, he gets one-on-one attention. And everything's going great. And he made sure that the entire trip, he did not leave, let that diamond go out of his sight because his entire life was dependent on that diamond. So he's go, they're going through a trip. And they're three days away from England. And he's starting to get excited. He's thinking about all the... Stuck he's going to give. He's a very kind person. He's thinking about, you know, how thanking Hashem for, for this great fortune that, 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 he, that he has and how it's going to change everything in his family and for, for him and his wife and his children, etc. And he's eating his regal meal and he's reading his paper and he's relaxing a little bit. And the next thing he knows, out of the corner of his eyes, before he can even catch it, he sees that the, uh, the, the waitress, so she comes and she cleans off the table, which had his diamond on it, grabs it, and you know how they clean things over the sea? over the sea. They just, so she shakes all of his crumbs and all of, and all of his food and, and his diamond, and he watches it at the corner of his eye, and as it sinks, his heart sinks. And he realizes that literally, I am literally a pauper. I have nothing. And he looks over, and, you know, and everybody realizes what happened, and everybody understands that this guy you know, is really, really in big trouble. So he's thinking to himself, okay, what am I supposed to do now? Like, I came out here. I'm here on a free ticket. I, I have nothing. So at that moment, he looks up, and he says, okay, Hashem, you got me this far. You've taken care of me and my family until now. You've gotten me to this point where you gave me this gift, and you got me to a point where, for some reason, you just took it away from me. I don't know why, but that's what you did. So at this exact moment, I turn to you, Hashem, and I believe in you. And that's an amazing thing if you think about it. Like, I don't know how many of us could do that if we have moments like that, but at that exact moment, he just said, okay, Hashem, you're in charge. Fine. So I, I want to just say, the end of the story is not that he found a diamond, although it does get resolved, though, to some degree. So what happened... Um, the captain comes over to him a day before they're about to go, and the captain still thinks that this guy is a rich businessman. So he says to him, I just want to tell you, 
if you could please not tell anybody else, but I'm smuggling in tens of thousands of silos of wheat into England, which is illegal. And in order for me not to get caught, I have to declare it under your name. You're a rich businessman. Everybody respects you on the boat. So it's not going to be suspicious if you have all these packages that you're going because people know that you have this you know, multi-million dollar diamond and they also know that you have a lot of packages. So is it okay if you just sign this document and put everything under your name? So the guy's like, okay, fine, no problem. I don't even lose. <laughs> I can't lose any more than what I already have, which is the deficit that I owe. And he says, and I'll forgive anything that you had to pay for the, for the ticket. You're good. So he says, all right, fine, no problem. So he signs the document. He disembark. The guy has nothing to do, so he goes to Shul, goes to Davin, and he just says to Hashem, he says, Hashem, I don't know. You sent me here. I accept this is, how, this is, the, this is the life you gave me, and, and I accept everything that, that, that you're doing for me. And a few days later, he gets contacted by the authorities, and he thinks, oh, no, now I'm in trouble. Like, I'm a pauper. I have nothing. I lost everything. I owe money. Now, now I'm probably going to get charged with something. And they tell him, is this your signature? So he, he says, look, I have to be honest. Yes, it is my signature. He says, well, I just want to tell you there's a very tragic thing that happened. So what's that? He said, all this wheat was transported off and it was delivered where it was supposed to be delivered and it was sold. And the captain of the ship who was in charge and who owned all this and was working through you, he died. And this is all under your name and this is all yours. And they gave him $20 million. So, or whatever the equivalent was, exactly what his diamond was worth. So what happened, it says we're in that story. What happened was this guy had, was on a roller coaster living in poverty, all of a sudden he has this gift, then finding out that he might be getting ripped off, then finding out, no, he, he could go there. And then, you know, just, just trusting Hashem, trusting Hashem. So what I take out of the story, as Ramelech said, is that at times in your life, there's going to be a challenge. Something doesn't feel very good. Something is going wrong. Something is like, well, if it's not what I signed up for, it's not what I expected. Turn to Hashem and say, Hashem, I have talking on you. You run the world, you're in charge. And when you do that, really powerful things happen in your life. Not always, not always visibly, not always immediately, but always with a plan that Hashem is watching and the greatest gift is, is, is that connection to Hashem so find your bitachon moments when you can turn to Hashem and, and that's what I mean when I say know your why your why is because you want to be an Erel Kid because you want to connect to Hashem because you want to live a life of Torah mitzvahs whatever you do professionally you want to live a life of Torah mitzvahs where, where you're connected to Hashem that's a very very important why um, I want to leave off with one more measure that I find very powerful so we're learning about the Mishkan and I always struggle to find a connection between real life in the Mishkan. It's like you're learning about gold and silver and copper and argaman and uh, whether it's unicorns or not, whatever this colorful thing is, right? So w- what practical lessons could we learn? So about 10 years ago, there was an auction where they found um, papers um, for, from Sir Isaac Newton. And he was a very big scientist who didn't invent gravity, like I always thought. He actually just discovered gravity. There's a difference. Inventing gravity means you're the one that created it. That's God. The one who discovered it is the guy who got hit in the head with an apple. Anyway, so one of the things that he was obsessed with was the Zohar. And he was obsessed with the Zohar because he was looking for all wisdom. And he was obsessed with a certain passage in the Zohar that I want to talk about, which is very interesting. And it's really a, a Medrash Tanchuma that I'll quote, which is, where, which is how I got to it. So basically, there, there's a Medrash in the Zohar and, and in Tanchuma that says that the creation of the Mishkan corresponds to the creation of the human body. And I'll give one example. One example it says is that we know that in the base of Mikdash there is something called Evan Shasiyah, which is the stone of all, of all foundation. So the Medrash says that that Evan Shasiyah, which is located on, I don't want to say the word stone with a rock, but that's what it is. It's the Evan Shasiyah. That was the Kodesh HaKadoshim, and that's where the Aron was placed. So there's a centrality to the Mikdash and the Mishkan, and in that central spot is where the entire world was created. Okay, beyond the scope of this conversation, but that's what it says. And it says, so too a baby in its mother's stomach is created from a central spot. Anybody know what that spot is? The womb. The womb. Inside the womb, 
it's, it's, you start with your, your belly button, according to the Medrash. You start as a belly, and then it forms out. Your face actually forms towards the front, which is why you, it lands over here. That's kind of where it can, all connects. And you're, what's it called? Fall from, whatever it is. Right? That's where the malach is supposed to hit you, whatever. But that's how your body comes to be. It's from one place, which is a source of connection. So the, the Mishkan has that. And the, and, and the Medrash goes through how the curtains represent certain things, and skin, and, and it goes through the parallels between that. And, and, and so Isaac Newton was very fascinated by it. So I want to read to you a Medrash that had a very big impact that I learned when I was your age, and it did have an impact on me. So, so I want to leave you with this gift, and I hope it will have an impact on you as well. I hope it won't freak you out, but I, I hope that it will you know, be something interesting about the Mishkan that we're learning about. So it's in Medrash Tanhuma Oz Gimel, if you want to look it up yourself. So Medrash says like this, that when Hashem creates a, a, a child, so he goes through a process of being formed and being created. And in this process, he's given lots of information and commands to live a good life. What does that mean? That means like this, that on the night that, that a mother and father are together and, and you were created, this is what happened, according to the Medrash. There is an, there's an angel called Lila, which means night. Um, and this, this angel goes up to God and says, okay, God, who's going to be born tonight? I got to do my job. So um, the, the angel goes up to God and God says, okay, we're going to take this seed, which is going to be you, this child that's being born. And okay, I'm going to tell you how it's going to look. So God programs the body. This is what it says, male or female. So God says, okay, that's going to be male if it was you, right? Um, weak or strong, poor or rich. These things are nigzar, It's There's not, you could do a shtalis, but they're, they're nigzar. Short or tall, smart or stupid, sorry. Um, fat, short, respectable, all these things are decided. There's one thing, says the matters that God does not decide. Tzaddik or Russia, whether you're going to be a righteous person or an evil person. So whatever challenges positive things, good-looking, bad-looking, that's in there too, Noah, or, or Mechur, ugly or pretty, or handsome, right? Those things are all literally things are. It's a gift from Hashem that Hashem made you smart. Hashem gave you a chen, etc. Now, you could take care of your body and enhance that. You could take care of your health and enhance that. But at the end of the day, there are many physical things that are there. Now, that's only one half of you and a very insignificant part of you. There's another part of you, which is your soul, your neshama, which is in the soul, you know, uh, nursery, so to speak. So the measure says that Hashem then sends this angel and says, okay, so that's the physical part, which is the, the seed that's going to come down, but let's go get the soul. So the measure says that this angel is sent and he goes into the nursery and Hashem says, this and this soul is going to match up with this body. So as he's about to pull that soul, the soul says, where are you taking me? Like, it's great up here. So Hashem says, no, you don't have a choice. So he says, well, I don't want to be born. This is what you told, this is, you said this to Hashem. I don't want to be born. I like it here. It's nice. Hashem said, trust me, the entire purpose of me creating you is so that you could come down and be a winner. I want you to go. And that's what the mission of says, al-karchach atanolad. You don't want to be born. Al-karchach atanolad. You're created against your will and you don't want to be born, which we'll get to in a minute. So, so the measure says that Hashem tells this soul, no, this is what you're here for. Stand up to the occasion. So, um, you try to fight back and you're like, Hashem, this is good. I'm happy. Hashem says, no, you have, there's something, there's something that you're going to, that, that there's, there's something important for you to do in this, in this world. So um, the Malach comes now and um, brings the seed and the soul in front of God. And this is what it says you did. You bow and you prostrate yourself in front of Hashem and you say, Hashem, I will, I will serve you. And it doesn't say this, but Hashem is probably thinking, like, yeah, we'll see about that. All right. Because life is hard. And we have a Yetzirah, we have a Yetzirah so we have different pulls, right? But that's, at that moment, you have total clarity, right? 
Fine. So then Hashem says um, that I want you to be a tzaddik and I don't want you to be a Russia. So then the Malach comes and he puts, the, puts this tipa inside the mother, which is a fertilized egg, right? And he puts two angels to watch to make sure that the baby doesn't try to escape because the baby is still resisting, which is al karkhatsa notzer. I don't, I don't want to be there. I don't want to be in my mother's stomach. I want to get out. So um, not only that, but he puts a light there. And this light re- probably represents the Torah that you're taught and probably represents the clarity that you have. Okay, so what happens? Then you get comfortable in there. You're there for nine months. You learn Torah. All your needs are met. And you're like, okay, this is pretty cool. I like this. But then the angel comes and says, okay, Time to move. And you're like, what? You just moved me out from God. Now you put me here. I, I like it here. So he says, no, you need, to, you need to be born now. So you're like, I didn't sign up for this. So that's al kachagat Nolad. You don't even want to come out either. You don't want to be created. You don't want to be created. Doesn't matter. Right? That's the mission of us. So what happens? The Malach comes. Before you're born, he takes you. He says, let me take you on a tour. So um, actually, I skipped this part originally. Before he, before he put you into your mother's stomach, he takes you on a tour in Gan Eden. And he says, see that person? That's Ricky Vager. Doesn't say his name, but that's a tzaddik. And he also was like you. He started off in the nursery, and then he was given a goof, which, by the way, if it's Ricky Vager, he was four foot nine, apparently, and he was sick, and he was small, and he was quiet, and he lived a tremendous life. Right? So whoever you are, whichever tzaddik, he shows you a tzaddik in Gan Eden. These people, they all live through life, and they all serve Hashem. And these are some Rishayim. He shows you Gehenim as well, which is not cool. So now, before you're born, he gives you one more reminder. And, he's, and he brings you, but this time he brings you in this world. And he says, you see that person? He shows you, these are the gadolim that are around nowadays. Look at these people. Look what they did with their lives. They're serving Hashem. It's very, very powerful if you think about that. And see these people? These people are Hashem. They're not serving Hashem. And they, they could still do tshuva because they're still alive. Okay, so what happens? Um, and, and that tour takes place in the morning, it says, during the light time, he brings them to Tzadikim. Well, the Arab in the evening, he takes them, you know, in this dark, dark dungeon. Okay. So what happens? Um, and again, you're given this final reminder, have a tzaddik valti Russia. Be a tzaddik and don't be a Russia. So what happens? The child says, I don't want to be born. So the Malach says, you don't have a choice. It's time to be born. So the child is pushed out and the baby cries because he's upset. He doesn't want to be born. He doesn't want to be in this world and he was comfortable the way he was. So then he goes through his whole life and it's a very fascinating measure. If you want to see it, the measure says that you go through seven stages of life, which I'll mention very briefly just because it's fascinating. But basically, it says that um, um, before, after this person goes through the seven stages of life, which I'll pause for a second, so it says where he's located inside his mother's womb, up, down, all around, whatever it is. So finally, when, it's, when, it's, uh, when he goes through his life, uh, um, so the, he doesn't want to come out. He refuses to be born. So what happens? They, t- they, they get rid of the light and they say, forget it, it's dark. And then the angel hits you on the mouth, whatever that means, and you forget everything. It's as if you didn't have it. So what's the point of all that if you had all that? The answer is that it's there subconsciously. It's there subconsciously, but not, not consciously. And the kid cries and he goes through seven worlds. The first one, he's a king. Everybody poos and awes at him and says, ooh, ooh wow, so cute, so nice. Then the next, the next world goes through seven. He's a pig. Pigs like to jump in the garbage. Kids like to make mess. Then he's a gadi. He likes to jump like a... Uh, what's it called? A, a goat. Then he turns into a horse, which is that he finally that he walks around thinking that he's so great. That's adolescence. That's the stage you guys are up to. Horses, according to the measures, right? And then uh, he gets married and he becomes a donkey because what do donkeys do? They hold the load of their of their wife and of their of their children. Okay, so so you have a lot to look forward to. Then um, after that stage, uh, he becomes a dog. I ain't in the measures. I don't want to scare you. And then the last stage, he becomes a monkey. Where everybody just makes fun of the old man. 
Ayn Sham. Not for now. That's not my point. Anyway, at the end of his life, whatever he did with himself, the Malach comes and says, oh, you remember me? Vaguely, I know you from somewhere. I'm the guy that pushed you out. Oh, what are you doing here? Remember how before you were born, I showed you exactly where you were going to die and when you were going to die? <laughs> it's coming back to me. I don't think I want to hear more. Yeah, well, today's the day. That's what it says. So then he says, I don't want to die. It's bad enough you took me out of where I wanted to be. Then you took it out of He says, you don't have a choice. This is your mission, and you've done your mission. And that's what happens. And it says that the man, before he dies, cries so loud that, that it goes from one end of the world to the other, meaning that we become so attached to this world that it's heard. And it says only a chicken could hear it, which is not for now, but that's what it says. Anyway, so that's what happens. And finally, that's what the Medrash says. You were created against your will. No lettuce, you were, you were born against your will, and you lived against your will, because Hashem gives us a body, we have to take care of it. And if you want to get a little creeped out, you can look there, it explains there are four voices that are described in Malachim, that before Hashem appears, there's four voices. And the first thing is a ruach gedol of a chazak, which is olam haza, which seems so strong. And then there's a rash, which is after Olam Haza, it's Yom Hamisa, which is that screaming that we had. Then there's Aish, which is the punishment that, that pulls off all the imperfections. Then there's Kol Damamadaka, which is silence, which is the final connection to God, Ayin Sham. What's the bottom line? Scary stuff, but not really. Inspiring also. The point is that we come to this world with a mission, and Hashem has a calculation for every single one of us. He gave your exact neshama a mission that only you could do and that only you could bring out. And if you recognize those things, even if you pick up any one of these 10 things, I think your life could be a lot, a lot better and, and, and a lot more meaningful. So my bracha to you, and I'll take any questions or comments that you have, but I'm, I'm done. But Hashem should help you that you should live a life where you know that you don't know everything. And you know that kindness is important. And you know that slow and steady wins the race. And you know why you're here. You remember in those moments with the Ramelech story that you turn to Hashem in those bitachon moments, which we all have. And that you know why, why you're here, like the measure says, that everything that every single neshama, every pressure neshama goes through. You should know the importance of, of fr- friends and family. You should know the importance of self-care and downtime. You should know the importance of just being in touch with your body and, and what's going on. You should know the importance and the ability to say, I'm sorry, uh, learn how to be resilient. And lastly, I think if you do that, then you'll make a very big impact in your life and for everybody else. Any questions or comments? Any questions, follow-up? I could turn off the recording also if it's more comfortable. I'll turn it off.